had that on already. That was that was that was beautiful. I love that. I am thankful for Bible school this past week. Uh, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into Bible school, and I want to thank everybody that played a part in bringing Bible school on. It, it was a blessing to a lot of to a lot of kids, and a lot of times we don't see all that work. So I'm grateful for Amber Sizemore, the leader that pulled it together, and just for everyone that took part in it, and. You know, the picture in my mind from it, um, one of the kids, one of Atticus's friends that came is, is a little kid named Lane, and a uh, sweet kid, and uh, real, he's not shy at all when it comes to attention, and I'll never forget that last day, Cindy told me about it, I wasn't there, but um, Stephanie's dad, Ken Maiden, he's really good with kids. But anyway, I, uh, I heard that Lane walked up to Ken, and he goes, and Ken just picked him up, hugged him. Well, that's Bible school. You know, that those kids said, Jesus loves me, and he's going to pick me up and hug me, <laughs> show me that love. So it's a great opportunity to do that. And one more thing, I, I won't talk too long, I've got to get to this sermon, but I have to say something about this ice cream thing, Rachel. <laughs> I'm like Carly, I really, really love ice cream. Matter of fact, I told David sometime back, I said, you know, I've been thinking about this. I think when I die, now I don't, Cindy's probably not going to like this, but I think when I die, what I really would love is for everybody to have some ice cream. A bowl of some good ice cream. I mean, how can you be sad and have some good ice cream to sit there and eat on, you know? So I thought, no, that's just, I mean, I, I'm going to be in heaven. Things will be good for me. So uh, uh, anyway, that's just a thought. So uh, y'all be letting me know what flavors you like. I ain't, I ain't in no hurry to get well. <laughs> I better move on here. All right, we are in Mark chapter 1. And this morning, our focus is verses 14 through 20. And the title of this message, Believers or Disciples. So I encourage you when you find that text, if you will stand in our God's honor. And I want to read the text aloud. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Let's pray. God, the challenges follow Jesus. And so I ask that as we continue in this worship service, 
we need to hear from you. Um, I pray, Father, that the Word of God, energized and revealed to us by the Spirit of God, would change us. I pray that you would get a hold of us, Lord, and that we would want to follow Jesus. And so have your way in the time that remains. We want to continue to look at you, our hope, Jesus Christ. Speak, O Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Theodore Roosevelt once wrote, There's never been a man who lived a life of ease whose life was worth remembering. If we want to make a difference, if we want to be used in a way that will last, there is a cost. It does not come without a cost. There is a difference between people who identify themselves simply as believers and those who make the decision of being disciples. Those who believe only Christianity is a convenience. But to those who are disciples, Christianity is a crusade. It is not merely a convenience where, okay, God, when I find the time, I'll consider this. Or I'll, I'll look into it, Lord. Or, or, or Heavenly Father, I have some suggestions I would like to make to you today. Uh, if you have time. No, it is a crusade. It is understanding that we are to follow Him. The Lord. There is a difference. Listen to, this is John 8, 31 and 32 in the Passion Translation. I, I love the way the Passion Translation uh, translates this. Jesus said to those Jews who believed in Him, if you continue to embrace all that I teach, you are my true followers. For if you embrace the truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. The disciple continues to embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at these guys that he called. Who did Christ choose? Well, as we start our text here in verse 14, um, the previous verse there there's a year interval there a year of time had passed jesus christ is on the scene and obviously uh people around knew who he was <laughs> or beginning to know who he is and in that year he preached about the importance of the kingdom to repent of sins and to believe. Probably, more than likely, these four guys that we're going to mention today had been involved in listening to John the Baptist as he preached in the ministry of John. More than likely, they had followed the baptism of repentance in getting ready for the coming one, in getting ready for the appearance of the Messiah. And so then we come to our text here, and and I'm just going to jump down here at verse 16. It tells us, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. 
Now, in that day, there were two types of nets that were typically used. There was one type of net. It, it actually was a large circular type of net, and they would throw it, and it, as it went through the air, it looked like an umbrella that would come down and capture fish. The other type of net was a much heavier net that was weighted and would sink to the bottom, and they would pull that net up to the surface, hopefully catching a lot of fish. And uh, as I think about on Sunday nights as we have been watching The Chosen, one of my favorite scenes is when the disciples, you know, they've been fishing all night, and Jesus says, put the net down. And, and of course, you know, Peter's like, hey, I'm the fisherman here. I know how to fish. You know, I mean, he was trying to be gracious, but he, I know in his mind Peter was thinking, this is what I do for a living. I'm a professional. Really, Jesus? And yet, they put the net down, and you know what happens next. Oh, man, it's so awesome. Man, they're fighting to pull in all the fish. There's so many fish that they had to get others to help them come to their aid to get the net of fish <laughs> aboard the boat. There's so many fish. And I love it, the, the way they picture Jesus, because they look over at Jesus, and he just goes, I just love that. The one who created everything. And he said, put the nets down, and you will catch, you'll catch the fish. <laughs> and, and that's what's so beautifully occurred. Now, let's look at these four guys. The first one, Simon, whose name will be changed to Peter, uh, which means rock. Of course, he's the small rock off of the big rock, which is Jesus, and he is the impetuous one. Uh, there's another scene I love in The Chosen, which shows uh, Simon, you know, he's, he's kind of scouting around as the disciples go forward following Jesus, and, and, and he's decided he's got to take care of Jesus. He's got to protect him. And, you know, just the humor in that. He didn't really realize the full extent who he was with. Jesus Christ did not need protection. <laughs> but that, that, was Simon's, that was Simon's heart. That was his mindset. He was impetuous. He was the leader. He was moving forward. Even though sometimes he might have tried to move a little ahead of Jesus. Then there was his brother Andrew. Andrew was known as Simon's little brother. As you look in the scriptures, he, is, he does not come across as a strong leader, a strong personality type. But quietly, in his own way, he brought Simon to Christ. But not a powerful kind of personality, not someone you think would be chosen to turn the world upside down. And then you have James and John, known as the Sons of Thunder, and what you discover about them as you read on in the Gospels is they were all about ambition. They were going to be somebody. Remember their mom comes before Jesus. Hey, my boys, one of them wants to sit on your right, the other one wants to sit on your left and lead with you in the new kingdom. So these are the four guys that Jesus called. Seems crazier Almost out of place. Why? Why did Jesus choose them? Well, first, they were diligent men. They were working. They were not sitting and watching or waiting for something to happen. They were diligent in their work. Hard workers. Jesus cared about. He was looking for someone who was not waiting to work, but who was already at work. I remember uh, Stephen Davey, uh, uh, 
preacher outside of Raleigh, um, one message I heard him preach, and, and he said this. He said, um, even God cannot steer a parked car. Even God cannot steer a parked car. <laughs> the car needs to be moving. And so it is, God looks for people who are already at work, already moving. Secondly, these guys were available. Look in our text in verse 18, and it tells us, at once they left their nets and followed him. That terminology, at once, or in some translations, immediately used over 40 times in the Gospel of Mark. They made a decision. And, and, you know, we read this stuff so much, we don't realize how life-changing that was. Jesus called them, and at once, they didn't turn around and look back. They didn't say, I'll get back with you in a couple of weeks, Jesus. Or can you give, or can you give me more details? Uh, you know, what kind of package am I getting? What kind of benefits? None of that stuff. They just left and they followed Christ. They were available. Third, they were flexible. Jesus chose these guys. Think about this. They weren't in the temple. I mean, you, you would think if you're looking for uh, guys who were religious, guys who understood the things of God, you know, you might go to church and, and kind of spout in a church and get the, get the word on, well, who's the real holy people? Who's, who's the people who are great students, you know, uh, of, the, of the ancient text and all this kind of stuff? But that's not where Jesus looked. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He went to Galilee. And I remember reading in, in one of my commentaries, it, it made the point here. <laughs> it said, if you wanted to be spiritual... In that day, you lived in Jerusalem where the temple was. You'd go to the temple and worship and make sacrifices. However, if you wanted to be rich, you lived in Galilee because that was the place of business opportunity, the place where you could make a name. And so Jesus did not go to a place where people had their own ideas about church and God. In other words, he wasn't looking for a bunch of religious people. He, he wasn't looking for the people who were already grounded in what it meant to go to church and, and what it meant to be a part of a religious body. He was looking for people who were open-minded. He was looking for people who were hungry for something real, something transparent. And so he picked these guys that were in Galilee who were fishing. Who Jesus chose. We and Carrie, who God would use in a powerful way to change many lives in India, God began to work on Carrie's heart. He actually uh, worked on shoes, <laughs> was his occupation. But he got a heart for those in India who did not know Christ. and He was really concerned they would have no way to hear the gospel. And what was typical in that day in the churches where Kerry uh, lived was the idea of, of God knows it all, God does it all, and we can do nothing. And, 
So, you know, if God wants people to get saved, then they'll get saved. Don't worry about it. God's got it. And so he ended up to be ordained. He ended up before a bunch of preachers, and they had so much starch, they were stiff when they walked. But anyway, uh, when he shared his heart to go to India to share the gospel, the leader of the group stood up and he said to him, Young William, sit down and let us have enough of this talk of people in India. If God wants them saved, he will save them alone. Fortunately, William Carey did not take that advice. He went through many painful years, but God used him in powerful ways because he was willing to go. He was willing to go. Finally, these guys were teachable. What was their curriculum? Yeah, they didn't have a notebook. They didn't have a textbook. Um, they obviously didn't have some of the stuff we've got now, you know, websites and media and all of that. What did they have? Well, there's one word I think that really identifies their curriculum, association. How were they being taught? By hanging out with Jesus. They were with Jesus. Uh, one commentator said it like this. He said, um, "Stick." they stuck close to Jesus. Sticking close to Jesus. They were with Jesus when he ate. <laughs> they were with Jesus when he was with other people. They were with Jesus all the time. And that is how they learn. Now, two words that stick out in association here. The first one in Mark 1, verse 17, Come, follow me. They were with Jesus all the time. They learned from him as he taught. They learned from him as he loved. They learned from him just as he was. Jesus said to him, what? He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The idea of make you fishers of men, or I, I, I noticed in the NIV, they've updated it uh, to get this verb in here where it says, I will make you become fishers of men. Because uh, that word uh, that's translated become literally means something that happens over a long period of time. You know, the Christian life is not a sprint, it is a marathon, and it is a continual growth that happens as we stick close to Jesus, as we walk with Jesus, and as we continue to follow Him. It is not one of those things where, you know, you take a five-hour class, and then you get a badge, and suddenly you got it all together. No, to follow Jesus is a lifetime. Secondly... He said, I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now, of course, how that must have sounded to these fishermen. Be easy. I could just see them rolling their eyes. He's talking about fishing. Why is he talking about fishing? Jesus was literally using a term to mean, I will make you catchers of men. It's like, what? What are you talking about, Jesus? What point are you trying to... What point are you trying to get across to us? 
the term is used one other time in the New Testament in 2 Timothy 2.26 where it talks about our enemy, the devil, has taken people captive to do his will. So the picture here is I'm going to use you to capture hearts. As you follow me, people's hearts will be open to me. We have an enemy who is capturing hearts. And he's still in that business. He's capturing hearts all around us. And Jesus says to his disciples, and I believe it's true of us as well, live, follow me. And the result of that is you will catch people with the passion that you have, with the changed life that you possess. What was the cause? Well, listen to uh, Mark eight thirty four. If anyone wants to come after me, he must, two things, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, right? Now, to, to deny himself means we must learn to say no to ourselves. You know, I've often thought, as you look at famous people, um, celebrities, uh, whether it's in the entertainment, movie industry, or sports, or I guess any place a person gets lots of attention. Uh, man, what would you become if no one ever told you no? What kind of jerk would you become if no one ever told you no? And that is not the call of the Christian. God says we need to learn to say no to personal ambitions and to self and to say yes to him. And the point of that is we must deny. We must deny ourselves. And secondly, to take up the cross. Jesus, as he stood on the shore of Galilee, he didn't say, follow me and I'll make you popular. Follow me, I'll make you wealthy. Follow me, I'll make you healthy. Follow me, I'll make you happy. But ultimately, as they followed him, they discovered, follow me and I will make you unwelcome. Follow me and you will suffer. Follow me and you will face hardship. Follow me and you'll be considered the minority. Follow me and you may end up with lions that are hungry or stakes on fire. There was a cost in following him. What was the heart? Why follow him? And it makes me think of Paul's words in Philippians 3.10 where he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. That, that was the heart purpose. I want to deeply know Christ. So why are there not more disciples at this point? There are believers, crowds are following him, but there are not nearly as many disciples. Why? Well, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. I want to look at two verses uh, to give some insight into this. Uh, Luke 14, 16 and 17. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Let me stop there for a moment. 
in those days, uh, you know, the messenger would go and he would invite the people to come to this banquet. But, you know, that didn't happen immediately. You had to cook the food. You had to prepare for the banquet. So the messengers would come back at a later time when the, it was almost ready. The preparations had been fully made and go to those people that they had originally invited and said, okay, come back. It is time for the banquet. With that in mind, I want you to look at the answers that were given. Um, verse 18, but they all began to make excuses. They all began to make excuses. There was a lack of desire. Oh, I, you know, you, this is great. I want to be a part of this, uh, you know, but not really. I want you to look at how dumb these excuses really are that these guys gave. It says they gave excuses. Uh, the first one, he said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Well, you dummy, you bought the field and you paid for it and now you're going to look at it? Who buys land before they even look at it? What do you think you might buy? That's stupid. Okay, I've got that out of my system. Let me move on to the next excuse here. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Same kind of thing. You don't know anything about them. You don't want to pay for them, and then try them out. What if they're sick? What if they're about to die? Man, you ain't going to last long in the farming business. You got to get it together, buddy. And, and then there's one more here. But still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. I have an idea. Why don't you bring your wife? Did that ever occur to you? I mean, these are just lame excuses. And the truth of the matter is, those who identify as believers but don't want to really follow Jesus, guys, it's all a lame excuse. Uh, I, I want to share with you, this is from, uh, I got this in some examples I collected illustrations over the years. And this is a list of excuses that people gave to an insurance company. Listen to some of these, these are dumb. Okay, he says, uh, I'm just going to share three of them here. One lady writes, I turned a corner and a telephone hit pole hit my car. I turned a corner and a telephone pole hit my car. Now, do I have to explain how dumb this is? You know, I can just picture it in my mind. Lurking behind the corner is this mischievous telephone pole talking to another telephone pole. Are you going to move? Or am I going to move? I'll jump. Yeah, come on, man. Uh, hmm. Here's another one. The man didn't know which way to run, so I ran over him. <laughs> now, this is on an insurance. Sounds like you want to go jail is what it sounds like. <laughs> but anyway, 
And then one more I want to share with you. Um, wow. I pulled away from the curb, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. You know? Anyway, as we think about these excuses, uh, what's yours? What is holding you back? Does it have to do with your relationships? Does it have to do with your, your business, where you work? What is your excuse? Three times... Uh, Verse 26, verse 27, and verse 33 here in Luke. Jesus says, He cannot be my disciple. He cannot be my disciple. None of you can be my disciple. They were disqualified. So, is there a personal challenge? I want to close this message. Uh, with three, three challenges of being a disciple. The first, do you have a hunger for God's Word? I think of Jeremiah the prophet. You know, they called him the weeping prophet. Man, prophets had it rough. <laughs> they were obedient to God, and it was not some romantic job. It, it was, it, they had it tough. Um, anyway, he said in Jeremiah 15, verse 16, he said, When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. He said, There is a hunger to hear from you, God. I, I need your word. I desperately want to experience you. I want to encounter you. I want to meet you. Do we just pick up, you know, i got to get through this today. It's time to do my Bible reading. I'm going to read through it here. And, 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 and you know, I'll be honest with you. I, you know, I, I used to go through the thing, you know, read through the Bible in a year, and I've done that so many times, and I, I think it's great. I'm not trying to knock reading through the Bible. But sometimes I'd find myself, man, i got to read these three or four chapters a day. I have to get through this. And uh, this year, I, I'm doing something a little different because I thought, man, I don't want to do that this year. Um, <laughs> when I read, I want man, I want to worship one at a time there, you know, with God, not just get through. Okay, secondly, do I have a commitment to the body of Christ and a commitment to other workers in the body of Christ? You see, uh, following Jesus Christ is not meant to be a solitary affair. It is not meant to be something you do by yourself. That's what the church is all about. Church means called out ones. We are to be the ones who have met Jesus, the called out ones, and he's called us out for what? The gospel. To share his love and his kingdom and who he is and what a great and awesome God he is. That, that is the call that he's given us. And we do this with other people. I, you know, a dear friend of mine, I, well, I hadn't seen him in years, but uh, he used to always say to me, it was so funny, he'd say, I don't have to go to church, but I have to go to church. I don't have to go to church, but I have to go to church. And, and what he was saying to me is going to church is not, that's not what makes me a Christian. 
The love of God is not dependent on how often I go to church. God is not going to love me more if I have a perfect attendance badge. That is not what it is all about. But when I begin to understand the depth of the love of God and how deeply He loves me and cares for me, how can I not want to be with others who have shared that same truth, who have that same heart, and want to love God with that same passion? All right, one more. Thirdly, directly from the text, do I have a burden for a lost world? You know, sometimes we go through the motions so much that we forget why we're here. Happens to all of us. Who is it you have, who do you have a burden for? Who has God placed in your life that you're broken over? Surely know some of you cross today. Um, next week, we're going to have a special service uh, that deals with the ministry. You know, a lot of times we talk about the ministry. Like, are you in the ministry? I'm a preacher. I'm in the ministry, you know. And um, what is the ministry? Do you know you are all ministers? Next week, I'm going to be preaching on the ministry that we all have. It is called the Ministry of Reconciliation. People are broken. People need to be brought into right relationship with God. People are broken in relationships with one another. They need to be made right with one another. That's why God left us here so that we can be ministers of reconciliation. And we're going to have a time at the end of the service next week, you know, shameless plug here. We're going to have some index cards. And I want you to be praying over this week, who has God given you a burden for? And what we want to do is simply to, you know, write the name of that person and we'll have a time at the end of the service to tape it to the cross. And pray, my heart desire is that as people get saved, that's what we want to see. We want to change the color of that index card. That name up there of what God has done. So do you have a burden? Uh, D.L. Moody was visiting a church in a large city. He was in the pastor's office, which was on the second floor of, of the church. And you could look out the windows and people were everywhere. And this preacher stuck his chest out and walked over to Moody and he said, isn't this an awesome place of ministry? <laughs> and, and Moody, I, I want to read to you, this is Moody's response that he shared with him. Uh, the preacher said to Moody, what do you see? And here's what Moody said. I see hundreds and hundreds of people who do not know Jesus Christ. If I am a believer only, I can get by with just a perusal of the Bible, perhaps on Sunday, maybe a proverb sometime during the week. If I'm a believer only, I will put in an appearance in the local assembly, but I will never have commitment to the body of Christ. If I am a believer only and not a disciple, I will say, 
yes, my next door neighbor is unsaved, or I'm not sure if the people that I work with at the office know Christ, but I will never open my mouth to present him and say, let me tell you about Jesus Christ and what he has done for me. There is a big difference between being a believer and a disciple. On the Monday morning after the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, more than 2,000 soldiers galloped out of Washington in pursuit of John Wilkes Booth, the murderer of President Lincoln. On April 26th, a detachment of 25 soldiers led by two detectives knew the whereabouts of Booth. He was in a barn in a tobacco barn in Virginia, just 60 miles outside of the capital. The Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, had placed direct orders that Booth was not to be killed, but he was to be taken alive. As the men came to the barn, um, it was obvious that Booth was not going to surrender without a fight. And so they decided that uh, they would burn him out. And so they proceeded to set that barn on fire and smoke him out, you know. And uh, so the leader of the group, um, Lieutenant Doherty, he walked around behind the barn and he was able to see through the slats of the barn John Wilkes Booth with his gun drawn. And uh, he disobeyed orders. He took out his pistol and he shot John Wilkes Booth almost the same place Abraham Lincoln was shot, in the back of his head. They got the door open, and they managed to uh, pull him out, thinking he was dead. Uh, they pulled him away from the fire, and John Wilkes Booth actually woke up. He was delirious from the pain, uh, but in a whisper he said these words, Tell my mother I thought I did what was best. Then he asked them to lift his paralyzed arms up near his face. And with his hands open, he said, useless, useless. And then just a few minutes later, he was dead. You know, one day we will all stand before our maker our great God. And I wonder how many of us at that time, in light of eternity, will say, I did what I thought was best. But when we total it up, it was absolutely useless. Are you a believer? Or are you a disciple? Father, the, the challenge is very humbling, Lord. For we know to be a disciple is to follow Jesus. and You actually tell us in the Sermon on the Mount, Lord Jesus, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. None of us can do that. So what do we do? We take your righteousness as our own. 
That's what the gospel is about. And I pray here, Father, that if there is someone here, Lord, and, and um, well, you know, they become churchy and they come and sit and, and good people, but are they trusting in their level of righteousness? Or do they understand that they need a righteousness that far exceeds what they have? that of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray if anyone wants to come this morning to the message of the cross and say, forgive me, Lord, come live in my life. I want your righteousness in place of what I possess. And I want to know you, Jesus. What a great time to do that. And I just pray if anyone, Lord, wants to trust you, that they would come. And Father, for those who may be listening, Father, online, I, I pray that right where they are, they would say yes to Christ. They would just be honest and, and say, Lord, I, I, my righteousness is not enough. I want yours. Forgive me. Live in me. And I, I want your righteousness. And, and Lord, the great exchange, may they find righteousness in you, Lord. Father, that is our hope. That is our heart. And Lord, I pray you just continue to move in us that we may have a burden for someone to be a disciple. And so, Father, in, I don't know what else you're up to this morning, but with an altar that's open and, and hearts that are hopefully open to what you want to say, may we simply respond to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.